Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast. Thank you for joining us this evening. In this episode, we are going to be talking about the 1992... Wait, is it 1992? Uh, yes, it is 92. Yes, 92. I was about to be totally wrong right off the bat, but I'm so glad that I wasn't. Anyway, we're going to be talking about the 1992 Studio Ghibli film Porco Rosso. This will actually be the weirdly enough the very first studio ghibli movie that we're actually talking about on this podcast we've talked about uh ghibli adjacent things and like pre-ghibli and post-ghibli stuff but uh we've never actually talked about anything actually from the studio proper and nothing actually ever directed by hayao miyazaki himself the guy that created all anime as you know but austin you're forgetting castle kikliostra which he did oh that's true that is true. That is the one thing that he has directed that we actually have talked about. But it's not a Ghibli film, weirdly enough. It's not. No, sadly, it's not. That's true. Uh, it is a TMS TMS joint. But uh, anyway, yeah, we're going to be talking about Porco Rosso today. And uh, the reason that we're talking about Porco Rosso is because of two reasons. Number one, uh, this past week was Hayao Miyazaki's birthday. Yes, he is now 79 years old and he is still working on movies. You know, he's retired at least maybe six to 32 <laughs> times in throughout his career but he's still working on movies he's apparently what 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 was that recent report that he said he's, he was like he's working fif- on a, he's working on like 15 like percent s- done with his new movie s- something like that because it's like after he retired for like the 50 millionth time a lot of the people that were at studio ghibli were dismissed and looked for other work and mm-hmm. uh then when he t- reformed to form his for his latest movie, uh, I think it's just him doing all the draft work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if he's really hired on a staff. I mm-hmm. would be surprised if he hasn't, but uh, I think it's solely him. Uh, I like to think that he came back after the big success of uh, Your Name from Makoto Shinkai and said... That is the recurring joke, definitely, well, that's for so, sure. So he, somebody, cannot, he cannot stand, stand the pressure of somebody's movie being better than his at the box office. He said, someone is taking my mantle as the greatest anime uh, animator and director of all time. <laughs> I gotta put a stop to that. Yeah, for sure. And even at 79 years old, he is still petty as heck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you if you've watched any of the Ghibli documentaries, which I highly recommend, he is uh, very cutting to his staff and mm-hmm. to Takahata uh, and to just uh, and just general just a curmudgeon as those documentaries kind of show to the general public. Definitely, definitely. And the reason we are sort of, we've sort of picked Porco Rosso in particular is because it is about a curmudgeon that is based on King Curmudgeon Miyazaki himself. Uh, it's also, just to, just to rub salt in a wound a little bit more, it's also the movie he regrets the most making. <laughs> so really, really, if we wanted to be on Miyazaki's good graces for his birthday, we're doing a horrible job. But anyway, uh, my name is Austin, because we haven't introduced ourselves yet. And who are you, sir? Uh, I think my name is Bill, as I'm piloting a plane, a nice wooden plane, by the way, all across the Italian coast. Mm, sounds so gorgeous and uh, wonderful, and uh, we should probably stop and have some uh, some wine and baguettes and cheese while we're on the way. Mm-hmm. That sounds uh, lovely. While we listen to a French club singer uh, sing romantic ballads to us. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> she sings Africa by Toto as we eat. So wonderful. Uh, <laughs> anyway um but yes uh sort of 
Well, one thing that we wanted to do before we really get started in this episode, Ernest, is that it is a new year. It is 2020. We are leaving the 2010s behind us for better and for worse. Hopefully brighter, sunnier times are ahead of us. One can only hope and pray that that is the truth. Um, But it is the start of a new year and the start of a new decade. This will be the first podcast that comes out this year, but we've got a lot of other podcasts uh, on the schedule to sort of celebrate the end of the decade, talk about some of the anime movies and series that meant a lot to us during the 2010s. You can look forward to those episodes coming out in the coming weeks. Um, But one thing I wanted to talk to Bill about just sort of briefly before we start our episode is what are our anime New Year's resolutions? So what are the things that we want to accomplish for ourselves related to anime uh, for 2020? So Bill... I know this might be a hard thing to to ask, and uh, you know, oftentimes the joke around New Year's resolutions is that you should not make them because you will never adhere to them. But I think that it can be at least good a good discussion point to actually talk about the things that you would like to accomplish in the new year. So, related to the anime sphere, like what would you like to accomplish in 2020? Well, I also like that we're talking about our resolutions on a podcast because uh, from what I've read like in an article, when you say them out loud publicly, they're less likely to happen. So we'll see if they actually happen. So wait, is it so the more public you are about them, the less likely they are to happen? Yes, but I'm we're going to see if this article was wrong. Maybe we'll do a check in like six months into the year and see if we've kept our resolutions up that's true or maybe we should ask our listeners to sort of hold us accountable it's like whenever we get to the to uh december of 2020 we can ask them to go back and listen to this episode and be like hey you fools you never you never did it or whatever but yeah so yeah what what about what about you what do you what do you think there i have two resolutions okay so my first resolution is uh I love doing this podcast because it gets me to watch stuff outside of my comfort zone. Uh, But I've kind of fallen into the trap of I don't watch anything unless it's for the podcast or it's a long running series that my usual anime watching partner is really into at the moment, like Conan or One Piece. Mm. So my first resolution is to try and watch stuff Uh, Not just for the podcast, but but for my own self-enjoyment. Because I think by doing that, that would widen my palate, my knowledge, and uh, get me to not just be so singularly focused on the podcast Mm. itself. Hmm. That's a very admirable resolution. Is there anything, like, specific that you would like to get sort of watched under your belt this year? Well, that ties into my second resolution is... okay. Uh, I have a relatively small collection of anime compared to other members, but uh, there's you don't still... have to call me out like that. I was trying to be diplomatic, <laughs> trying to what's just trying to be nice, but uh, yeah, in comparison to Austin, my collection is relatively small, but I still have had a, a bunch of stuff I've acquired that I have not really finished. And so my goal is to get through all the anime that I haven't watched on my shelf. So, for example, uh, for Christmas, I picked up the Genius Party movies, 
I picked up uh, Royal Space Force, and I picked up like a couple years back the Rose of Versailles TV series, and I've also been getting all the Lupin Red Jacket stuff. So my goal is to get through not all of it because that would be pretty tough, but to get through most of it. I'd say like 75% of it by the end of the year. I'm a little bit surprised that you have not gotten your uh, anime watching partner who seems to only want to watch long things to try and get through Lupin Red Jacket. Because I know even you being the Lupin super fan that you are, even you haven't watched all of it. No, I have not. Uh, you can take my Lupin super fandom card away if you want to, listeners. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, but no, I've only watched probably like the the first uh 20 or 15 episodes and you don't think michael would be down for watching all of it with you uh i've been trying to push him or do you think that the problem is that he knows that that would bring you way too much (laughs) self-gratification i think it's more just like he likes to do things that he likes and Uh, uh while he likes lupin i would say that it's not his favorite thing it's kind of like uh, I have the same problem of just like if someone tells you like we're doing this, you, your your mind wants to say no. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think that's the thing is like if it's coming from me, uh, he's like, nah, don't want to do that. We gotta go watch <laughs> other stuff like uh, Duel or Conan or uh, or get back on the One Piece train. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you didn't do that to me when I sort of out of the blue asked you to do a Porco Rosso episode. Uh, no, I am. I think I'm much more diplomatic <laughs> and uh, willing, <laughs> willing to. Uh, I'm I'm up for pretty much anything. There's very few things that I'm gonna just outright say no to. <laughs> mm, fair, <laughs> um, enough, fair enough. Unless, unless it's a very horrible like fan service show. <laughs> but uh, I, those are those are my uh, two uh, anime New Year's resolutions. Oh, I actually I almost forgot one. Uh, I'm also going to work on more panels for mm. convention season. So, and I'm going to say them so that way it'll put pressure on me to do them. So, first panel I'm going to do is on anime anthology um, movies and series because surprisingly there's a lot of them. And mm. I think anthology series are really interesting because in a short amount of time you cover a lot of material. Uh, uh, it has a wide spectrum of material. And usually up-and-coming directors and storyboard artists work on these uh, anthology series or they're masters of the craft doing it as sort of a film uh, festival piece, kind of like Memories, for example, which we've talked about on the podcast. Uh, So I'm hoping to do a panel on that. And I'd also Mm -hmm. like to do uh, a panel on Ava Ripoff's so, uh, like uh, Quentin Tarantino in the early '90s, who inspired a lot of like thief movies and just kind of overuse of dialogue, anime was really inspired by Evangelion, and there's a lot of Evangelion type shows, uh, like Razafon, like uh, Dual Trouble Adventure, uh, like everyone's favorite Brain Powered, <laughs> where uh, <laughs> there's a uh, surprisingly a, a lot of a lot, uh, large amount of them and so mm-hmm. i'm going to examine like w- w- what uh makes them an ava ripoff do they hold up on their own uh are they good are they bad 
uh, uh, spoiler alert, most of them are not great. Uh, <laughs> but I am, I think uh, it would be a f- interesting exploration of the Evangelion pantheon by looking at all these ripoffs. Yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to uh, to seeing that panel. I know uh, you're not necessarily looking forward to having to have to watch all of that stuff, but uh, I know that uh, once you do, it'll be a, a very fascinating panel that you'll put together. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's. I think some of them are going to be a struggle to say the least. But uh, mm-hmm. any uh, if I'm doing it for a panel, I will try and get through. Maybe I can get Michael to. Uh, uh, be a sucker <laughs> and get through some of these really bad ones because having a co-pilot would make it easier. You know what? I just thought of a really great sort of structural thing that you might be able to do with this panel. I think that maybe to sort because you're going to be talking about a lot of things that are like kind of a slog and might be kind of boring or kind of like not great. Um, what you could do like between shows is maybe show clips of like Evangelion references in other anime that might be like really funny or something like that because I know there's plenty of that too. Oh, and I'm also going to put in clips of just, like, the stupidity of the shows. Like, the brain power dubbed is mm-hmm. really just kind of stupid funny. Or <laughs> how there's an Idolmaster Evangelion ripoff called Cineglossia, uh, which is pretty uh, out there. So I'll probably put a clip of that on there. Uh, so I'll have enough material for <laughs> for a panel. When, when you said that, I mean, I, I'm somewhat familiar with Cineglossia, but I was just thinking about, like a recreation of the iconic Evangelion elevator scene, except it's with, like, the two twins from Idolmaster. <laughs> oh, that would be funny. I, I think that would be pretty great. Maybe yeah, someone yeah. could no, someone could make a fan-made video of that and post it mm-hmm. online. But nothing will ever be as good as that Idolmaster slash Lupin Third crossover uh, video, which is just iconic. Uh, no, I don't think any anyone could top that yet. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, well, what are your New Year's resolutions, anime-wise? So mine, my New Year's resolutions are, I'm thinking, I'm trying to be very, very specific. Like my resolutions are that I, by the end of the year, I would like to have certain shows that I've meant to watch for a very, very long time actually watched and under my belt. Um, And most of the things on this list are things that I am like genuinely and actively interested in watching. I just have not ever gotten around to them. Probably the number one thing would be to actually watch Sound Euphonium. Um, because, you know, I've, I've been a pretty big fan of, um, Kyoto animation for quite a while. And, um, I think a lot of my fandom has been really, um, sort of buttoned down, especially after the, um, uh, major tragedy that happened last year, sort of late mm-hmm. in the summer with the arson. Um, so I've, uh, again, sort of always been a fan of theirs, uh, for as long as I've been a anime fan more or less, but, um, it's really made me want to sort of go back and watch the totality of their uh, of their output, and uh, Sound Euphonium is definitely like probably their biggest thing that I have not really sunk my teeth into much at all. I went to see Liz and the Bluebird whenever it came out in theaters, and I I liked it a lot, but um, I think I would like it a lot more if I were more familiar with the world and characters of Sound Euphonium proper, and I know that that show is supposed to be like the more and i hate to use this like adjective but like the more mature version of kaon or something like that whereas kaon's more of a slice of life but sound euphonium is more of a drama mm-hmm. um but uh yeah that's just something that i've wanted to watch for quite a while 
So I'm uh, hoping to get that under my belt uh, this year for sure. And um, again, sort of along the lines of what you brought up, there are plenty and plenty and plenty of things in my personal anime collection that I have not gotten around to watching at all. So uh, I would like to try and make a bigger dent in that sort of collection. Um, Because, yeah, I've got got quite a few things. And uh, I know that if I watch some of the things that I know I might enjoy but maybe not love, I can watch them and then sell them so that I have more space for other things. So there is an economy of the shelf, as I like to call it. (laughs) I've never called it that before until now, but yeah. I, I would say uh, get, having a co-pilot or having someone to talk to during a watching uh, makes it more enjoyable because I think that's how I've gotten through like a, over 200 episodes of Conan is because I'm able to comment on the show and its weirdness during <laughs> while watching it with, with Michael. Mm-hmm. And I think um, for certain shows... Uh, that kind of helps the process go along. Very, very true. That is good advice. And I will, again, try and do that with more things this year. I think there are some things that would be much more enjoyed watching them with a friend. Uh, Goodness knows that Tori and I have a bunch of things that we're trying to get through. Like, we're extremely behind on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. We're extremely behind on Fruits Basket and Demon Slayer and a bunch of other things. So we're definitely sort of collectively wanting to get through more of that this year. But um, I've had a lot of success watching through uh, Pat Labor uh, this past year with my friend Jamie. And I think that we're going to continue to do that because we still have a good, like, uh, 60% of the TV show to get through. Um but I think right now we should probably transition into talking about Porco Rosso. What do you think, Bill? Sounds good to me. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Porco Rosso. しようか通いられた馴染みのあの店まろにえの波木がまどべに見えてたコーヒーをいっぱいで一日見えない明日をむやみに探して誰もが希望を託した揺れていた時代の熱い風に吹かれて体中で時を感じたそうだねそう Porco Rosso is originally based on a 15-page manga that Hayao Miyazaki made in 1989 called The Age of the Flying Boat. It was published not in a traditional manga magazine, but in a magazine about model planes called Model Graphics. Miyazaki himself is a lifelong fan of airplanes, so it's definitely on brand of him to write a manga and direct multiple (laughs) anime that prominently feature uh, airplanes. 
Uh, Japan Airlines actually commissioned Studio Ghibli to make this film, and Miyazaki said that he was a little bit surprised that they let him do a film featuring aerial dogfights, because I'm sure that might have been a little bit uh, unsettling for some of the passengers. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they seemed to let him do it anyway. Um, the film was originally going to be a lot lighter, more similar to the manga that didn't quite have so much of the melancholic or serious uh, tones of the eventual film. Um, but at the time of the film's production in the late 80s and early 90s, uh, a war broke out in Yugoslavia, so there was a lot of contemporary upheaval in the area of the world that Porco Rosso actually takes place in. So after that, um, Ghibli and Miyazaki added in a bit more of a political tinge, a little bit more commentary to sort of create some through lines between the pre-World War II era that the film takes place in to sort of connect those ideas to the sort of contemporary political situation of the time. Uh, as we alluded to in the beginning of the episode, the often stated joke about this film is that it's the one that Miyazaki likes the most because it reminds him of himself too much. So, like, for example, Porco is basically a very talented but crotchety chain smoker, very much like Miyazaki himself. Um, and the film is way more about what, like, Miyazaki himself is personally into, like, plans and politics, which is basically his whole aesthetic, aside from being, like, a wonderful anime director. He's really into both of those things. He is a, he will often decry otaku, but he is arguably one of the biggest otaku when it comes to planes, specifically. Um, so this film is, is a little bit different than his sort of lighter fare uh, that's more made for children and families. Um, which makes sense because the film that Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki were coming off of uh, immediately before Pokeroso was Kiki's Delivery Service. Um, but again, it is kind of weird to say that Miyazaki like regrets making Pokeroso because it's seen as more of an adult film. Because like immediately after Porco Rosso, he started working on Princess Mononoke, which I would argue is way less suitable for children than Porco Rosso is, because it is much more violent. It may be more like like uh, high fantasy and stuff, but it's it has a lot more like darker themes, I think, than uh, Porco Rosso does. Um, so there were two English dubs made for this film. The first, of course, being the Japanese Airlines dub, which was kind of primitive, but it was uh, kind of similar to other Japanese airline dubs, similar to the one that was made for um, The Mystery of Mamo, for example. They're just like kind of not great. They're serviceable. They exist. They're in English. Um, that one is unfortunately not available on the G-Kids um, Blu-ray release. It's also not available on any of the previous Disney releases. But there are a few clips that you can find up on YouTube if you just want to check out what the old dub sounds like. Um, so the, the dub that is most easily available is the one uh, produced by Disney in the, uh, in the mid to early 2000s. Uh, he's a Batman, he's a Birdman, and a Pigman. <laughs> Michael Keaton plays Porco in the Disney dub and does a really, really great job, I think. Uh, we've also got Carrie Elways as Donald Curtis, the American pilot, doing an incredibly bad Texas accent. Uh, I think Carrie Elways is one of the few actors that actually has repeat roles in multiple Ghibli films because he also plays the cat in, uh, or the Baron rather, the Baron in um, The Cat Returns and in uh, Whisper of the Heart. Um, 
so it's cool to see him appear in uh, multiple multiple Ghibli films. Uh, we've also got Susan Egan. She plays Gina, and she is probably most known for being Megara in Disney's Hercules. And she's also Rose Quartz in Steven Universe, which I actually did not know until I was doing research for this. Um, we also have the late David Ogden Stiers as Mr. Piccolo. And uh, most of you guys, if you're around our age or watch Disney movies, which let's be honest, is everyone. Uh, but most people <laughs> would probably know him for being Cogsworth in Beauty and the Beast. He's also Governor Ratcliffe in Pocahontas. And he also plays Jumba in Lilo and Stitch. So that's basically the breakdown of sort of the history behind uh, Porco Rosso. But let's turn a little bit more to ourselves. And Bill, tell me how it is that you first came to watch Porco Rosso. Um, it's through my brother because uh, he had gotten into uh, Ghibli movies. I think right at the cusp of when Disney got the the license and rights to the Ghibli catalog. So at first we watched Princess Mononoke and we really enjoyed that movie and we started buying the other Ghibli movies on DVD at the time and uh, Porco Rosso was one of them uh, and I and this one I really connected with I think uh, partially to its uh, kind of World War II backdrop and I loved the the realistic setting and I love uh, World War II planes so I. I really connected to this one. Uh, I would say it's my personal favorite of uh, Hayao Miyazaki's works. It's not his best work, but it's my personal favorite. Mm-hmm. So do you, was that also true whenever you first watched it? Because um, did you sort of watch all of the Ghibli films sort of back to back? Or were there like long gaps between you checking them out or... I remember Hank getting the DVDs in batches. Like he got like Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away in one batch, and then another batch it was Howl's Moving Castle and Porco Rosso, and then another batch was Kiki and Totoro. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was kind of okay. batches, but it was all kind of within a year's time. Oh, I see. And this this was in like uh, high school. Uh yeah, it was in high school. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, my my story is a little bit similar, except I sort of came to it uh, myself and came to it much later. Um, My first Studio Ghibli movie that I watched was Spirited Away. I actually watched it in uh, in a classroom in high school, sort of after exams. One of my uh, favorite English teachers put it on uh, after we finished up our final exams. And I want to say 10th grade it was, and that was the first Ghibli film I ever saw. I saw the Kiki's Delivery Service trailer a lot on, like, Disney VHS tapes, so I had been familiar with Studio Ghibli for a while, but never actually sat down to watch any of the movies. But after I watched Spirited Away, a friend of mine at the time let me borrow the DVD for Princess Mononoke, and I checked that out. And then sort of uh, over the course of the next few years through high school and into college, I sort of very slowly worked my way through the catalog and i want to say that um porco rosso was the last film of miyazaki's that i actually watched i want to say the reason i finally watched it i well the reason i was putting it off is because i did not want there to be like i didn't want there to be an end of me having watched (laughs) all of miyazaki's content it's kind of the same reason why i haven't watched uh paranoia agent yet because i don't want there to be like an end of satoshi khan works out there for me to experience 
because it's it i'm afraid of finality i guess <laughs> well, um, well don't worry hayao miyazaki heard you and he also says i don't like finales either so yeah fair <laughs> enough uh we're not so different you and i anyway um i want to say if i'm remembering correctly um it was our other mutual friend ryan ryan w who's been on the podcast one or two times i think it was through his influence that i actually finally watched porco rosso with you guys Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, because I think like maybe during finals at a, at a point we and we were just trying to kill time. We were watching some Ghibli movies because I remember like Porcaroso was one of them. Nasca was one of them. That's right. And uh, I think one other one, but I'm forgetting which one it was. I think didn't we marathon the Berserk Golden Age trilogy as well? Like back to back to back. <laughs> Uh yeah, it's it's a funny contrast of the wider fare with Ghibli and then the very depre- yeah. depressing uh Evangelion marathon <laughs> and uh Berserk mm. Golden Age arc marathon that we did. Man, college was rough. I had like three Evangelion marathons with three different people, so <sighs> man, it was a tough time. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, Nasca was definitely the case. Um and I think Porco Rosso was just slightly before that. So that was the first time I really saw Porco Rosso was pretty later uh, into Ooh. college, which is probably about mm, five or so years ago. But ever since then, it's been something that I think about a lot. Like I think a lot about Porco Rosso and uh, every time that sort of Ghibli comes up in conversation, you know, I'm not one of those like super Ghibli hipsters that says, man, Spirited Away is trash. Go watch the pig movie. Um, I'm not really like that myself, even though I, I, I think Spirited Away is really good and Porco Rosso are both really good. But um, I, I don't know. It's like Porco Rosso has this very like classic quality to it. It's not nearly as like magical or as whimsical as some of Miyazaki's other works. And I think that's what a lot of people come to his movies for. They come to there for like magic and whimsy and um, really bizarre visuals and things like that. Um, especially with things like Howl's Moving Castle and Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke for sure. But Porco Rosso seems to be a little bit back to his roots of uh, stuff like the Castle of Cagliostro. Like I would say that sort of a a cousin to Porco Rosso, especially in terms of uh, in terms of tone and uh, general feeling. I would I would say I would agree with you 100 percent in that this movie does not fit what most people think of when it comes to Kaya Miyazaki's work of just the high fantasy um whimsical um very elaborately uh drawn characters mm-hmm. just all encroaching on the screen i would say this is a much more reserved movie mm-hmm. and that if you just took away like him uh <coughs> porco being an actual pig you could mm-hmm. probably film this movie in live action uh no That's problem very true. mm-hmm very very true yeah because really the only whimsical part of it is the fact that porco for some reason is a pig and uh, apparently miyazaki has throughout the years gotten really annoyed with people constantly asking him why porco turned into a pig because i think his whole point with not telling people is that he wanted them to fill in the blanks in their own head um Mm. to which i would definitely agree with because there are a lot of sort of vagaries in this movie that i think add to its quality and not not take anything away 
because it really is more about Porco's sort of emotional journey and the the emotional journey that he sort of shares with uh with the other characters in the film. I would. It's also I would say it's a very reflective film because it's an older gentleman, uh, kind of in the Japanese uh, performance. It sounds like someone kind of in their late forties, uh, mm-hmm. mid fifties type deal of just their right. youth. Their youth has gone by. And they're kind of reflecting on the past and they're seeing the future of another war coming and he's just trying to avoid it as best as he can. And he just kind of wants to enjoy the days that he has <laughs> uh, just because the way he acts in the movie, he's he's very um, lackadaisical uh, mm-hmm. to a certain degree of just like, hey, I'm just chilling on the beach. Mm-hmm. I, get, I go to a club, uh, get a drink there. I like to fly my plane plane around, uh, and I'm just kind of enjoying uh, the time of my life at the moment. Mm-hmm. Right, definitely, and he's he's definitely a character that is very uh, sort of aware <laughs> of the injustices of the world and aware of the um, sort of the sorrow and the pain that people experience, especially people that are involved in war. But he's sort of chosen to sort of check out from that life. And I think that that opens up like an interesting question for the audience of like, you know, is Porco like a truly good person or not? And I think that the answer to that question is that it's sort of supposed to be like a little bit self-reflective. It's like Porco does good things, but he's not like an amazing person all the time. But it's sort of I think we're supposed to sort of see ourselves in that. Um, I would say he, like he's morally gray. Like he knows yeah. of the horrors of war, but like most people, uh, to a certain extent, is he's a bit of self-preservation mm-hmm. of just like leave me alone. And how um, the one scene in the movie theater when he's talking to his old friend who's in the Italian Air Force, mm-hmm. trying to it's like you need to join up. If you don't, they're the uh, the secret police is going to come after you and he's like uh, they can't come after me I'm, I'm not even a human I'm a pig uh, mm. just him just kind of uh, not not being engaged with the outside world and mm. the troubles that are uh, soon knocking on their door right right and uh he sort of comes around to that in some ways and you see sort of where his even though he rejects this sort of label you see where his honor lies because when it came down to things at the end of the day you know when when fio sort of made that uh made that bet he was willing to step up and be like no i'm gonna fight for you so you don't have to go with the sleazy american dude (laughs) um so he he does have a kind heart. He just is extremely jaded by the world. And I think that that is sort of Miyazaki himself for sure. And that's probably why he has some anxiety around this film in hindsight, because maybe he sees it as a little bit too open. Like he read himself too hard in the movie or something, um, which can be understandable because it, it is very uncomfortable to sort of bare your soul out to the world and uh, really be vulnerable in that way.
uh, and one plot point that I always get confused about uh, to a certain degree is the romance that happens mm-hmm. in this story. Because in comparison to other Ghibli movies, I would say this is the only uh, this and maybe Housemaid Castle that I can think of that has like a kind of a romantic element mm-hmm. to it. Would you like to sort of set up the context for what you're talking about for the listeners? I'm sure my my apologies, listeners. So the basic gist is there is a beautiful uh, club owner slash singer named Gina, who Porco has been a long time uh, friend with, and uh, she is kind of the the rose of uh, the pilots all around. Everyone trying to woo her and get them to marry her, get her to marry them um but she always rejects them and uh one line that she says is i always wait uh during the day in hopes that porco porco would uh come to me so that way i would reveal my true feelings to him mm-hmm. um and then uh i think i always forget her name uh fio mm-hmm. yeah fio um there's a little bit of romance in between their relationship, but I like to see them more as like a younger person with an older person as like an apprentice and master mm-hmm. relationship in a work in a work relationship. I don't like to picture a romance between them just because she is very young and he mm-hmm. is um, quite old, and I and the way he acts is more like a kind of like a grandfather at times of just like oh no please don't do this I I'm for your safety. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think some people, uh, from just what I've seen online, uh, picture them as a romantic item, which I, I personally don't agree with. No, I, I would definitely push back against sort of that theory there. Like, I don't really think there's anything like romantic about their relationship. It, it just seems to me that like, you know, Fio is like a, I don't know exactly how old she is, but she strikes me as maybe like a late teenager, you know, somebody just sort of figuring out her feelings and maybe she sees Porco as this sort of like weird adult figure that is sort of like carefree and sort of out on his own. And maybe she sees like something in him that she like really appreciates and sort of has like a, has like a heart for him in that way. But I would not say that this film necessarily contextualizes their relationship as anything romantic i would say it's more of like a like a a very 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 strong feelings um that she has to process well they i think it's more just they have a strong bond because of both of their love of flying and of planes right right uh and just they they both know the language of Mm -hmm. how to fix planes and what does each part of the plane do unlike gina mm-hmm. who is more an observer and doesn't really based on what we see in the film though doesn't know all that technical knowledge mm-hmm. right for sure and there's a lot of really really good uh character foils here like the foil between porco and um donald uh what's his name donald curtis is like really really strong and the foil between gina and fio is really really strong i I wish that there were more explicit scenes where we get to see uh, gina and fio interacting with each other but um you sort of see gina's like a very very strong but hurt person and trying to sort of cope with that and the best way that she can and she does it rather successfully um 
I think, and uh, she's able to sort of sustain herself through her grief, um, through being a very successful restaurant owner and a singer and being very self-sufficient, even though she does have this feeling of loss inside of her. And Theo's kind of the opposite. She's, you know, young, she's bright-eyed, hasn't really come to terms with how the world can be really nasty at times because she is still very much like, she likes to build planes because planes are cool. Um, I, I think it's something to be said that she does not realize like that planes are tools of war. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love uh, Gina to a certain extent because behind um, that exterior beauty is someone that is uh, dealing with the trauma of war. Like she says outright um, that she's lost uh, loved ones, friends and a mm-hmm. husband uh, to, to war <clears throat> And that I think the reason why she has such a strong connection to, to uh, Porco is because of just that is the last person alive that represents that youthful era of her life. And uh, someone that has the shared memory of, do you remember mm-hmm. this person? Do you remember that, that, uh, that friend? And mm-hmm. I think um, that's part of the reason why she wants uh porco to uh be with her just because it's a part of it is uh symbolic of just a much uh easier time to a certain extent Mm -hmm. and and sort of on the flip side of that they both sort of share this mutual trauma that they went through of uh you know, being uh, witnesses in and participants in the uh, the First World War. And, uh, like, Porco lost a friend and she lost a husband. Um, so they sort of have that, that constant connection through uh, through loss and through, uh, through trauma. Um, but, yeah, all of that is uh, in the movie for sure. And I, I, sort of, I think talking about this sort of thing uh, characterizes this movie as very, like, melancholic and kind of sad. And it definitely is, but it's also like really funny and really adventurous at the same time. So there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, ups and downs, sort of uh, tonally and emotionally in this film. But it works. It everything really, really works in tandem. It's a wonderful mixture of uh, both sort of melancholy and sorrow, and also like fun and adventure and all yeah. of that sort of stuff too. Yeah, I think just all the stuff that we've talked about so far is it's more uh, subtext. That um, yeah. if you're just kind of a keen observer, you'll notice that. But if you just kind of want a more fun, rollick adventure, uh, that's more outwardly expressed in mm-hmm. the movie. Especially all the stuff with the Pirate Federation, which mm-hmm. is uh, really fun. And then the big showdown between uh, Porco and Donald Curtis, the mm-hmm. American ace pilot who has a very great over-the-top verboseness and... Uh, extrovert personality in comparison to Porco who is much more reserved and quiet Mm -hmm. Uh, I do love how Donald Curtis is like a direct call out to Ronald Reagan (laughs) because uh, he's basically like I want to go home and be a movie star and then run for president (laughs) yeah uh, I do like that call out Um, I think uh, also just what shows the whimsical nature of the movie is uh the first sequence with the pirate federation where they're they're uh robbing a tourist ship and they're like Mm -hmm. let's get all get all the kids and like are you (laughs) sure 
Yes, get them all. When it's just they, they're causing so much trouble, and the, the lead pirate is like, "Stop doing that!" And he can't stop them whatsoever. And the kids are just having a blast, just uh, being on this plane and seeing the 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 short but safe uh, dogfight of this porco taking out their wings <laughs> and causing all this havoc to the plane. And it, it brings up my, I don't know how similar the line is in Japanese, it might be, but uh, in the English dub, it has probably my favorite line of the whole movie, where basically, like, one of the pirate uh, pirate guys asks the head of the pirates, it says, do we really have to take all the girls with us? And he says, of course we do, it would be rude to separate them from their friends, and I'm like, <laughs> man, that is so, that is my type of humor right there, like, that is so dang funny to me, like, I, I found myself, like, I, I've seen this movie like four or five times at this point, but I, that just makes me laugh every time uh, because you just you just don't expect like these cutthroat pirate characters to be so like weirdly principled that they are in this movie. Yeah, they're kind of like um, bumbling I- idiots, but with uh, principled uh, rules, and that's what makes them kind of endearing of just their kind of stupidity of just. Uh, mm-hmm. There's the one sequence where. They're all going to go after uh, Porco, and they're all fighting. I'm just like, well, who's going to pay the bill if one of our plates get damaged? <laughs> and yep. just like, we all decided that we would all pay for our own bills, and they're just <laughs> getting into, like, stupid squabbles. Yes. And their in, in, uh, incompetence of dealing against their rival just makes them really funny. Yeah, yeah, they're they're an absolute riot. They remind me a little bit of the uh, the pirate gang in uh, Laputa, Castle of the Sky. Uh, definitely seems to be uh, pulling some from some of those same uh, same uh, same threads there. I think. Mm. Uh, I would also say um, the thing I love about this movie is just all of the aerial shots that happen throughout the movie of just mm. Porco flying his plane against. Uh, donald curtis and him going against the the pilots like there's no real cheap tricks Mm -hmm. uh in terms of shortcuts uh during the flight sequences Mm -hmm. uh and because that's you're dealing with a lot of crisp movement and uh which can be hard to animate and so that's a really uh marvelous thing to look at during the movie Mm -hmm definitely like all like like this movie is just gorgeous in general but it's like extremely uh worth praising just the level of mechanical design and the level of like physical design in terms of like the plane physics and whatever that went into this movie because it is just absolutely marvelous like it it would be like if i were not so used to sort of just consistent animation quality when it comes to watching any studio ghibli films because like let's be honest even the worst uh, you know quote unquote worst studio ghibli movies are just absolutely drop dead gorgeous in every way but um i feel like if i were watching this and it was not made by studio ghibli i would have been like just jaw agape the whole time yeah just cuz of Studio Ghibli is one of the few studios that are able to put the money behind to create such fluid uh, animation movement and just also the amount of detail that are in uh, the settings, like when you go to the club for the first time, mm-hmm. and just the amount of brimming detail, just all the little fixtures on the table and just everything at the bar, 
or when he goes to the mechanic shop and you see all the mechanical parts all laying around in the shop mm-hmm. uh, um, and which is just par for the course with Studio Ghibli but if this wasn't a Studio Ghibli work as you said you would just be marveling at it mm-hmm. and one thing I did want to make mention of another one of my absolute favorite scenes is uh, basically the whole sequence of the film at uh, Piccolo's shop like when you meet Fio for the first time and Porco is getting his plane rebuilt from the ground up. Um, just that sort of whole montage of uh, all the women of Piccolo's family, because all of the men have gone off to uh, to fight in the war that's coming up. Um, all of the women sort of gathered together to build Porco his ship, and he's like, you know, kind of gruff and a little bit against all these like, like. Who are these women? What do they think that they're doing with my ship or whatever? But Piccolo's like, no, no, they're actually extremely good. They're better workers than even my sons are. And then you just watch all these, like, housewives and grandmas and just grandmas, yeah, just building this plane. And that's just a just a wonderful image to see produced on screen because it's really unlike anything else I've ever seen. Like, it's just such a delight to see to see stuff like that. Such non-conventional uh, activities. Uh, happening and just that whole montage is just so much fun and including and that goes <laughs> that goes along with the wonderful scene where they're having dinner and piccolo is like saying the the meal prayer and he's just like lord forgive us for building a fighter plane with the hands of women and that just also made me laugh so hard it's just such good or, stuff i love the sequence or the little line from the grandma as they have to fly to get away from the secret police of just like oh there's police outside how exciting <laughs> yes it's like they don't they don't give one single heck they can do whatever they want they uh yeah i think also i love the bit of just like well what are you gonna say to the police if they come talk to you oh we're just gonna say that you uh that you kidnapped uh that you held us up at ransom and you kidnapped us and we were forced to do it against our will <laughs> and and uh them screaming out uh, as he leaves like give us back our money <laughs> uh, this this just made me uh, laugh and just made me put a giant smile on my face mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess one thing I'd like to address as well is that um, sort of when Miyazaki has talked about this movie uh, in interviews and whatnot he says that the reason why he doesn't like this movie as much uh, in addition to the fact that he feels like he put too much of himself in it is that um, he feels like it's a movie more so made for adults than for children. And I would say that that's like largely the case, but I would sort of push back against that a little bit and say that I'm pretty sure like any kid that you would show this movie to who also really likes other Ghibli things would probably also enjoy this movie quite a bit because, um, like Porco himself is a very interesting character. I mean, he's just a cool pig man, you know, and like kids kids like cool dudes and stuff like that. But also like all the plane animation is really fun. There's plenty of comedy in it, like slapstick stuff. And I'm not saying that kids can only enjoy, you know, sort of slapstick uh, physical comedy, but there's enough adventure in here that I think would appeal to, uh, to any kid. Um, I would have to sadly disagree with you. I, I think a certain kid would like this movie, but I think most kids would probably find this movie a bit meandering, especially the sequences where just Porco is just flying in a straight line, and it's just him flying across the sea. Uh, 
because I think kids, uh, this is me being old man, just, uh, projecting here, but I think just because of just our age of just being on our phones all day and wanting eye popping visuals, the, the, while this movie is gorgeous to look at, it doesn't have the visuals that I think that would appeal to a kid that is kind of whimsical or outlandish as his other movies like uh, Totoro or uh, uh, Nasca Valley of the Wind or, or um, uh, I'm trying to think of or Lapida with the, all the stuff with the castle. Um, and it's uh, I, and I would also say that it's hard. It would be hard for a kid to relate to this just because of the uh, subject matter. Which is you when if you're a kid, you could probably project yourself onto Kiki or onto the little kids uh, in Totoro. That's probably true. I mean, I think Theo's presence in this movie gives kids something to sort of latch on to. But again, she only shows up like halfway through the movie. But I mean, in terms of like pacing i would say this movie is no more or less meandering than kiki or totoro because like those movies can be really slow in certain portions especially totoro like totoro may have like the whimsy magic thing going for it but it's also incredibly slow and so is kiki in a lot of its in a lot of its stretches and you know kids seem to like those movies just fine Hmm. maybe that's just me projecting because while watching the movie i loved watching it but i was worried it's just like would a little girl or a little boy be really interested in this older pig man flying this plane <laughs> in a straight line of just him sitting on the beach i i i don't i don't, I don't know uh i think they would get a kick out of like the big uh final confrontation between him and donald curtis and all the stuff mm-hmm. the pirates i think they would find that fun but those portions are kind of spread out uh, mm-hmm. throughout the movie, and just there's portions that are just kind of like, what, what's going on? It's a lot of talking, not a lot of action happening on screen. So I would think for a little, uh, uh, a younger child or someone that's like eight or ten, they would probably find uh, this a bit boring. Uh, that's yeah i I'd, I'd somewhat agree with that in in some ways but i i think a lot of our our argument here is like sort of within the margins and we we largely agree but um anyway um so i guess sort of wrapping up here well let's go ahead and just talk a little bit about how the movie ends so basically there's the final confrontation over uh theo's uh sort of wager that she makes with donald curtis which she's basically like all right i will make a deal with you if you win in a uh dog fight against porco you can marry me but if you lose you have to pay porco's entire uh flight or uh, airplane repair bill and it is quite substantial um so porco's like no no you can't do this because he's a really good pilot and i might not win and you don't want to marry the sleaze bag um and sort of they finally they have their final confrontation in the sky and it's a really fun battle and um i found there was an interesting detail and in uh during the final confrontation where they both run out of ammo in the sky but for very different reasons so porco runs out of ammo or rather he doesn't run out of ammo it's his gun jams and then he can't fire at um he can't fire at Curtis because his gun is jammed and he can't get it fixed. Um, 
It turns out that Curtis can also not fire at him because he already wasted all of his ammo. So I thought that <laughs> showed like a really interesting contrast between the two characters. It's like Porco, quote unquote, loses because of fate, essentially. And Curtis loses essentially through hubris. And I thought that that really sort of buttons in the essential differences between their two characters. Like two guys that are extremely good fighter pilots, but thematically they both sort of get done in because of very different reasons. And I think well, that really informs their character. And also it informs just how they do, uh, how they handle the dogfight of just like Curtis mm-hmm. wants to win at any cost. He doesn't care if Porco gets hurt, whereas Porco is just like, I just want to fire to take out the engines and not hurt Curtis in the fight. Right, right. It shows an essential difference in the way that their two characters approach things. And then they get on the ground and they basically beat each other up in have, a have, boxing match. Have a very over-the-top boxing match. And don't forget, they also throw a bunch of stuff out of their planes at each other while in mid-flight. Uh, yes. which is also just really charming and funny uh yeah, definitely but i love the boxing match because you see all the detail of just how beat up their faces get like porco's yes. face at the end is just like come on man just, just sit down it's fine you could just it's okay if you lost it he's just looking really banged up with a bunch of bumps and bruises and just the amount of detail mm. on just all their beat up faces is just uh really great yes as beautiful as the pastoral flower scenes are in this movie as equally ugly are their faces when they get beat up (laughs) so it's pretty pretty good detail there but um and sort of the movie ends with a draw and like neither of them win um and then there's sort of like a uh uh, and and in, an ending narration from Fia where she basically talks about what each of the two men went on to do. Like Curtis went back to America and became a film star and Porco sort of continued to do his thing. And then she's just like, if you ever wonder if uh, if Gina ever got her wish for Porco to visit her in her garden, well, that'll just be my little secret. And then the movie's over. Yeah, what did you feel about that kind of ending narration section? I thought it was great, and again, I'm also a big fan of sort of ambiguity in movies in terms of this sort of thing, because, like, I don't really need to know if Gina and Porco ended up getting married and living happily ever after or whatever, because this story doesn't really need that to be satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um and I and I think it's important sometimes for movies to leave the audience with something to think about, just how people can sort of think about why it might have, why it why it might be the case that um, Porco turned into a pig in the first place. Like, how did he get cursed? Well, I think it is a more interesting conversation for you to think about that for yourself rather than the movie straight up actually coming out and telling you specifically why. Uh, I also like it too because uh, one, as the film illustrates, like he was completely oblivious to Gina being in love with him mm-hmm. uh, when Curtis kind of blurts it out to him in the midst of the fight, and he gets all kind of embarrassed, pinkish, uh, flushed in his face, mm-hmm. and um, it, it makes you kind of as a audience member and as a viewer just kind of. 
allows the film to just kind of linger in your mind for a little while. And I think that's a sign of a good movie is if it really sticks with you. Because if they just told you all the answers, uh, then you'd be like, oh, okay, that was interesting. Mm -hmm. And then you might just forget about it. But because mm-hmm. they kind of leave those questions up and ended of just like, how is Porco going to be dealing with the ramifications of the war? Uh, mm-hmm. What's his, uh, what does he do when it comes to his feelings uh, for Gina and do they get together? Uh, by leaving that kind of open-ended, uh, it allows the film to stick in your mind more. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I could not agree more. Could not say better myself. All right, so I guess in wrapping up our wrap-up, Bill, what do you think your favorite scene from this movie is? If my, you had to pick one. My favorite sequence is uh, Fio and Porco are at his kind of beach hideaway, and she says, I'm having trouble sleeping. Uh, could you tell me a story? And Porco uh, tells a story of him and his friend, who is also uh, Gina's fiancé at the time. Uh, where they are off to go into a battle for World War uh, during World War One, uh, and uh, they get into a fight, and uh, uh, Porco loses control, and then somehow the plane is able to guide him uh, to safety all by itself, and then uh, him seeing the uh, his fellow comrades kind of rising into the sky. Uh, going into the great beyond uh, with all the planes going up and up and up and up and up. Uh, just kind of seeing that sequence just kind of had a, a profound effect on me and just it was a great illustration to me of just the effects of war and just it's another kind of uh, haunting memory within poor Caressa's mind and past. Mm-hmm. And this kind of shows uh the sort of reflectiveness that he is uh dealing with mm-hmm. uh i love that scene too but uh if i had to pick a favorite scene it would be like the entire opening sequence with the pirates kidnapping the schoolgirls, <laughs> because that that scene that whole sequence just fills me with such delight because it is absolutely hilarious to watch all of these like kindergarten girls like best these burly burly uh, sea pirates uh, at as, their own at their own scheme. As they're uh, like they they stop at one point and they're like, "No, you shouldn't get in the water." And it's like, "It's okay, yes. we're part of a swim class." Yep. <laughs> uh, I, I love that our both our favorite scenes are a great contrast yep. of the different. Uh, sides of, different sides of the coin of this movie yep. definitely and and the movie uh, clocks in at only about an hour and a half so I guess I, I would have to rewatch them all sort of and pay attention to this specifically but I think in terms of sheer pacing this might be the best movie that Miyazaki has made in terms of sheer pacing mm. I would think so because it's got some it's got some very clear highs some very clear lows and the movie does not seem like it goes on in any scene longer than it should in my opinion uh yeah i would agree like it was a breeze uh watching this movie again like it felt like mm-hmm. just the time flew by and that 
I wasn't like checking my phone of just like, well, what time is it? How much time do I have left? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the only time I ever did that was like if I had to go you know, use the restroom or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, we do have a couple of questions from the community Discord. If you yourself would like to join our Third Impact Anime Community Discord, you can do that. It is open to any listener or any friend of a listener or whomever would like to join. It is very easy to join. All you have to do is go over to our website, thirdimpactanime.com, and click on the Community tab, and there you will be taken to the invite, and you can add yourself and add your friends. Uh, Our Discord community is pretty cool. We enjoy talking about a bunch of different things there mostly anime related but we've got some sort of general social channels as well as like video game chat which stays pretty active and um miscellaneous fandom chats and things like that and uh it's a pretty good community i'm pretty pretty pleased with it and that is how we um most notably or excuse well most primarily solicit folks for uh, for questions for future episodes and most of the questions that we have come from discord the first one being from cruddy halfling who asks does this movie mean that pigs can fly now <laughs> i would like to say yes that this movie definitively proves that pigs can fly and pilot very nice very nice planes absolutely so our good friend Basil also asks, who is a very, very diligent question asker here, he asks, how much better is Porco Rosso than The Wind Rises? It has to be, but I want a quantifi- quantifiable measure of how much better it is. I guess, Basil, are you asking for math here? Because I'm not really a math <laughs> person, but I would say that Porco Rosso is probably at least maybe 20% better than The Wind Rises, I guess. Um, I totally get people's complaints about The Wind Rises, and I agree with most of them, but I still think it's a good movie. I, I think the differences are, um, whereas World War II is more of a backdrop uh, in Porco Rosso, uh, the war uh, is especially up at the front end of The Wind Rises, and however your feelings about the war and just kind of their depictions of it. In The Wind Rises uh, would probably affect your opinion between the two movies. If you're wanting more of a uh, traditional Miyazaki movie, then probably Porco Rosso would be the way to go. That's true, and I, I think that the the central difference between Porco Rosso and The Wind Rises is that Porco Rosso at least takes the time to sort of comment on the war, whereas The Wind Rises almost kind of ignores it outright, which is sort of a disservice, like, ethically, I think, and that's what a lot of people have issue with in terms of The Wind Rises, because it is much too much about, like, the planes and uh, the character of Jiro sort of designing the planes and sort of feels very divorced from the context in which he was working whereas you know porco rosso is of course not about a real person or whatever but Mm. it it sort of does take that moment to be like hey man war is bad it sucks and i don't feel good about having participated in it from you know porco's perspective right and i think that that definitely gives it much more um credibility and uh, a, a stronger moral edge over over the wind rises where the wind rises kind of romanticizes uh, jiro and his making of the planes and kind of ignores right exactly. uh, ignores the war and its placement in mm-hmm. his placement in the war definitely uh, Basil also asks uh, tailspin 2017 ducktales porco rosso crossover win 
uh, I would love to see that, but it'll never happen. Uh, I, d- I don't want that to happen. Disney owns <laughs> enough things. Uh, they don't need to own Studio Ghibli catalog. Uh, <laughs> not anymore. Not, not anymore. They, they own too many things. Uh, mm-hmm. They have too much on their plate. They got to make a million Star Wars things and a million Marvel things. That being said, I'm pretty sure that Porco Rosso would not be a fan of Scrooge McDuck, just saying. <laughs> uh probably not i think scrooge mcduck would be jealous of the amount of money porcarosa has on him though would be jealous of what the amount of money that porcarosa has on his persons of just like (laughs) the the, just the big giant bag of money that he has like when he first goes to the bank and then he goes and dumps it all on uh his uh friend's desk when uh figuring out the cost for the plane i think uh scrooge mcduck would be quite jealous about that he personally resents the fact that Porco Rosso himself does not also dive into a pile of his own money. <laughs> uh, that would be a great Porco Rosso visual, just him as a pig diving into his own money. I would get a complete kick out of that. <laughs> uh, Peach Pepsi asks, How do you think Porco Rosso holds up to other Hayao Miyazaki films? I haven't seen this one myself, but I've heard varying different opinions on it. Um, I think we pretty much answered that question here in the totality of the episode. But um, at least for me, I would say it ranks pretty high up there in in uh, in the Ghibli sort of um, ether and in the uh, Miyazaki oeuvre. I think it's one of his, again, one of his best paced films. Um, I think there are other films that I like slightly more than Porco Rosso, but I think... I think it's ex- still extremely good. Like it's one of his best films. Like it's it's unmissable in my opinion. If you're if you're a Ghibli fan, if you're a Miyazaki fan, you already like his stuff. You should not sleep on Porco Rosso by any means. Uh, yeah, yeah. As I was saying, it's my personal favorite Hayao Miyazaki film. Um, I would admit that it's probably not his best work. Uh, but it's. I think it's a great flip side of the coin to the more whimsical uh childlike wonder works that he uh, has made in his filmography uh i think like this princess mononoke uh and nausicaa uh kind of represent the other oh and the wind rises of course represents kind of the other flip side (coughs) of the miyazaki coin Right, definitely. And one final question from Basil. Uh, he And we have yet to uh, address probably the most iconic line of this entire movie, but he asks, one rela- asks a question related to this line. He says, about the line, I'd much rather be a pig than a fascist. With our constant pointless wars, Putin, Trump, this whole political dumpster fire we all live in now, does that change anything about how you read this line and the movie itself? Um so I would sort of answer that question about the whole I'd rather be a pig than a fascist thing. To me, that registers as Porco being like, I would rather be an outcast from society rather than capitulate to what society tells me I have to do, whether it be right or wrong. So Porco makes the choice to not participate in I guess what he would see as a very unjust the very, very unjust um and harmful and devastating institution of war and sort of just decides to be a social political outcast because he does not agree or condone or want to support sort of the the killing machine sort of the uh the military industrial complex if you will and i think to that is a a great line to remember 
sort of in our in our current political climate where oftentimes especially in uh, sort of western uh, thought there is a lot of focus on we are not powerful unless we have sort of military might we are not powerful unless we are killing other people and i think um porco's line of he would rather be a pig than a fascist is uh is very liberating it can be a great way to sort of view the world that you don't have to just act in a way that is you know devastating or harmful to other people you can sort of act and live your life in a way that is is contrary to what sort of uh sort of the the powers that be sort of demand that you should be you don't you don't have to be a monster you can choose to be something else uh, i think that's uh, very well said I, I think you uh took the words right out of my mouth well i certainly didn't mean to i hope you're not hungry now <laughs> uh, a little thirsty but otherwise <laughs> uh i'm doing okay <laughs> sounds good well i think that does it for us on this episode about porco rosso bill thank you so much for joining me for this episode uh it's always a pleasure absolutely and where can people find you if they want to talk to you about pig aviation on the internet uh you can find me on twitter at wb foreman f-o-r-e-m-a-n 999 on twitter uh you can also find my writing on our website thirdimpactanime.com that is all one word where um during the holiday break uh i wrote a uh the uh, top five stories of uh, of this past year. I also we also did all of our top ten things of the past year. Uh, Austin, you wrote a really good review of the Skycrawlers movie uh, by uh, Mamoru Oshii, I believe. Uh, I mean, uh, so far on the website, we've just been uh, doing a lot of interesting articles, and uh, I always like writing as i say i am the writing czar of, of third <laughs> impact anime so That's very true. Uh, so you can go uh, check out my writing there mm-hmm. yeah and uh, as far as myself i'm austin you can find me over on twitter at bebop shock that's bebop is in cowboy bebop and shock as in i'm shocked that the 2010s are actually over uh you can again find some of my writing as well over on the third impact anime.com website um, you can also find our stuff on social media over on Facebook, which is probably what we use the least now. It's facebook.com slash thirdimpactanime. You can also find us on Twitter, which is pretty constantly updated over on Twitter at twitter.com slash ti underscore anime. Again, you can find our Discord community by going over to our website, thirdimpactanime.com, and clicking on that community tab. Uh, if you like this show and would like to support more of what we do and to help us make more episodes in the future about new and interesting topics related to anime and anime stuff please consider donating to us on either patreon or ko-fi if you want to be a recurring donor we do have a few very very small perks over on patreon that you can take advantage of and that is patreon.com slash third impact anime if you just want to give us a one-time donation we'd really appreciate that too and the best place to do that is of course over on our ko-fi page Page, which is ko-fi <clears throat> excuse me which is 
ko-fi slash third impact anime and you can go and give us a coffee over there i definitely want to make a special shout out to our recurring patron peach pepsi for helping us support this particular episode i really appreciate your patronage there and we look forward to hopefully getting some more people to pay us for this thing into the new year because <laughs> that would definitely help out with a lot of different things so again thank you guys so very much for listening please look out on the feed for our upcoming episodes about the decade in review we're going to be doing two separate episodes one on series of the decade and one on movies of the decade because if we try to do both it would be another eight hour podcast and yours truly does not want to edit that whatsoever <laughs> or have to be involved with the recording of that because i think after uh, eight hours of talking we just want to go uh, crazy uh and just uh, go live in a hut and be a hermit yeah for real an anime hermit <laughs> a, a, a pig a pig that lives in a very beautiful cave <laughs> all right well bill thanks again for joining me and thank you all listeners for listening please share this episode with your friends if you really enjoyed it and share our show as well thank you for listening and we will see you in the next one <laughs> それは誰も言えない今でも同じように見果ての夢を描いて走り続けているよねどこかで